This is a Faith FM podcast. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Hello there, and thanks for joining me once again. I'm Robbie Bergen, and you're listening to The Faith Experiment right here on Faith FM or any other podcasting platform you are currently tuning into. This is episode number 54 of the podcast, and I'm calling this episode The Omen. Now, you are going to want to get out your phone or get a piece of paper and a pen or whatever you got to do. Write down this number now. It's the show number, 0488 That's 4 Triple eight four five three double one. You want to save this number into your phone. Call it the Faith Experiment number. And if you hold your phone and keep it accessible all the way through this episode, at the end of this episode, I'm going to give you a code word that you can text to me on that number. Oh four triple eight four five three double one. And I've got a fantastic giveaway for you on this episode. It's a book that I actually wrote. It's called The Sabbath Gift, A Faith Experiment. And uh, I'll talk more about that towards the end of this program. But say the number now, 0488-453-11. Well, I love hearing from people in The Faith Experiment, and I would love to hear from you today. Let me know where you're tuning in from. Are you in Australia? Are you one of our audience members in New Zealand? Or are you tuning in on one of our platforms from around the world? Text me in 0488-45311. Let me know where you're listening to and give us some feedback on what you think of today's episode. Well, over the past few episodes of The Faith Experiment, I have been unpacking um, some of the questions that I get asked as I travel around Australia and I talk on various themes about the faith experiment, about prophecy, about the future, about the biblical manuscripts that we call the Old and New Testament, and various world religions. And uh, a few, well, probably about six, seven episodes ago, I started a sort of a little mini-series looking at this question of can we actually know the future and if so what's the purpose of knowing and so we've been looking at these ancient manuscripts that we call the bible and we've looked at the historical accuracy looked at the prophetic accuracy uh, found some really insightful teachings of these biblical manuscripts that provide evidence in our faith experiment. If you've missed any of those episodes, I'd encourage you to go check them out. You can do so by going to faithfm.com.au and go to the podcasting section, look for the faith experiment, or you can get the Faith FM app and look again for the faith experiment on the uh, podcasting section, and you can catch up on all of the details as we've been going through this little series. Well, on this episode, I've calling it The Omen, And I want to unpack perhaps one of the most interesting topics to me in my faith experiment over the last almost 20 years now. This topic, the omen, is one that uh, a lot of people don't probably think about too much or haven't tried to experiment with. And so I want to share some of my insights that I have gained over the years from the ancient manuscripts. So what is an omen? Well, an omen is a sign. It's a, in the original languages in the Old and New Testament, the word that we get omen from really can be translated as a seal or a sign or some kind of um, token. 
And in this episode, I'm going to explore the omen or the sign or the seal or the token that we find in the pages of the ancient manuscripts from Genesis right through to Revelation. And it's absolutely fascinating. And of all the things that we can experiment with in our faith experiment, this is probably the most tangible and most um, experiential. So what am I talking about? Well, let's start at the beginning. When we look at God as he has revealed himself in the scriptures, we find a progressive revelation. What do I mean by that? It means that we don't open up the first page or the first chapter of the Bible and find everything there is to know about God. God has chosen to progressively reveal more and more about himself as time has gone by. For example, when we look at the account that we read in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, there's minimal information revealed about God. We see that he is a creator. We see that he likes to see things. He likes to talk about things. He likes to um, handle things. He's a relational God. We find these sorts of characteristics. But it isn't until later on in the story that we start to see things like his mercy, his patience, his frustrations. We get this progressive revelation. And then when we get all the way down to about 4,000 years through the story, we end up with the arrival of the person of Jesus, who is the incarnation of God, or Emmanuel, God with us. It's then that we see God in a relationship form as we're familiar with, face-to-face, conversation-to-conversation. That's what the person of Jesus did as he reveals God. So as we look at this progressive revelation that we find from Genesis to Revelation, we we find a lot of information about God. We gain insight into his attributes and his characteristics. What we want to look at in this episode, at least to start with, is a picture we find in the book of Psalms. We find this picture that God sits on a throne, and his throne is underpinned by righteousness, giving us the the illustration that as God reigns and rules, he rules and reigns in righteousness. Now, Psalms, the book of Psalms, interchanges this idea or this word of righteousness with the word commandments. In fact, it says all of your commandments are righteousness or your righteousness are your commandments. And so there's a picture that God sits on a throne and he rules righteously on his throne and from his throne, but at the basis of that throne are his commandments. And so this picture is is that the very foundation of God's government is his commandments, which are righteousness. And so in our sort of vernacular, we would say the constitution of God's government is the commandments. And that's what righteousness is. And we've seen in previous presentations on the faith experiment how that righteousness and the commandments are considered to be the foundation of all things that are right. And we've also seen that when you go against these commandments, you go against righteousness, then we have this idea of transgression, which is sin. This is where sin comes from. Now, here's where it gets even more interesting. In the New Testament, we get added insight into this revelation of God because it tells us that God is righteous, but it also tells us that God is love. So love and righteousness are one and the same thing. 
which makes perfectly good sense because when Jesus was asked what is the greatest of all the commandments, he said, love God, and then he said, and the second commandment is equal to it, which is to love our fellow human being. So to summarize the commandments, Jesus says the summary of it is love. And the Apostle Paul, he writes in the book of Romans that if you love your neighbor as yourself and you love God with all your heart, with all your mind, all your soul, you have fulfilled the requirements of the commandments or the law. So righteousness is the commandments. Commandments are the righteousness. It's interchangeable. But realistically, the commandments and righteousness is summarized with one word, and that is love. And that love goes to God and that love goes to others. So at the very foundation of the government of God, the foundation of his constitution, it's love. And by having love for God and love for our neighbor, we fulfill the righteous requirements of the law because love is the fulfilling of the law. So at the very foundation of the revelation of God is love. And as a result of having that love in us for others, we are righteous and therefore we're in harmony with the constitutional description of God's government. So there is a principle at the very foundation of God's government, and that principle is love, love to God, love to others. But there are expressions of this principle throughout the scriptures that look different, somewhat differently, not completely differently, but somewhat differently to different stages of time and to different audiences during those stages. Let me give you an example. We know now that love is the principle behind the law, which is the constitution of God. Yet, there are different expressions of that principle to each of his creations. For example, the angels. The book of Ezekiel and the book of Isaiah tell us, and book of Revelation, for that matter, tell us that angels sinned. Now, to sin means that you've transgressed or broken or crossed over the line of righteousness or the law which is the principle of love, right? So the angels have transgressed love. And the Bible paints that picture that Lucifer being the first to do this, to break the law, he did it through the act of turning outward love, love to God and love to others, turning it inward to being love for self or selfishness. The book of Ezekiel tells us that he exalted his heart, and his mind and his in his and his being above the other angels. That was the violation of love to others. And then it says that he wanted to exalt himself above God. So that's the violation of the love to God. So the angels, as far as we know, there was no written Ten Commandments for them or anything of that description. But the fact that the Bible says that the angels sinned is evidence that they had the principle of love in their governmental sphere and the fact that Lucifer loved himself more than the other angels and himself more than he loved God shows that he and the other angels had the same principle at the foundation of the government of heaven, which he violated and broke and therefore became um, a sinner. Now, when we come down to Eden... Eden was with Adam and Eve and the tree and that stuff. They were, they were given one commandment. Well, technically two, I guess you could say. In Genesis chapter two, it says that God told, commanded them and told them 
that you shall not eat of this tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but you shall eat of every other tree that's in the garden. So for Adam and Eve, the humans, which are different to the angels, they were shown the same idea, the same idea of a commandment of righteousness and what would be the consequences of unrighteousness, but they weren't given any Ten Commandments written out in specific form. They were given the principle expressed in the form of this voting system between this tree and that tree. You vote by not eating that tree or you vote by eating that tree. And this this pattern of the expressions of the principle continue on down through time. We get down to Exodus chapter 20, and we see that God now takes the same two principles, love to God and love to others, and he expresses it in the form of the written codified Ten Commandments on Tables of Stone. But again, the Ten Commandments, the first four are love to God, and the last six are love to one another. So same principles, but expressed differently. Well, this is the beginning point for our topic, the Omen, which is a sign or a seal or a mark or a token. So in God's government, he has described that the foundation of it is righteousness. Righteousness is inexchangeable with the idea of the commandments or the law. And at the basis or the heart of the law or righteousness is love. So the foundation of God's government is love, love to him and love to one another. This idea of love is expressed differently depending on the stages and the places and the beings that he's talking to in the revelation, but it's exactly the same at its core. It's love to God and love to one another. What has this got to do with the omen? Well, we're going to take a short break right now. When we come back, we're going to get straight into the omen and how it relates to the government of God. Don't forget to stick around. Coming up is a code word to get today's free giveaway, the Sabbath gift, a faith experiment. I'll see you after this on The Faith Experiment. You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 04888-45311. That's 04888-45311. Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au. There I was, empty-handed, crying out from the pit of my despair. There you were, in the shadows, holding out your hand, you made me dead. And now where would I be without you? in the desert calling me out in the dead of night fighting my battles for me you're my rescue story lifting me up from the ashes carrying my soul from death to life bringing me from glory to glory you're my rescue story you are you are you are my Story. You are 
ages Before I had a name Before I needed grace Oh Singing songs of redemption Cause every time I ran away You were louder than my shade And now where would I be Without you Never give up on me You're my testimony Oh, oh, oh. oh you never give up on me you Never give up on me You're my testimony Oh, oh, oh. oh you never give up on me Oh, you never give up on me This is my testimony Oh, you want a voice in the desert Calling me out in the dead of night Fighting my battles for me You're my rescue story Lifting me up from the ashes Carrying my soul from death to life Bringing me from glory to glory Listening to the Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to the Faith Experiment. I'm Robbie Bergen, and this is episode number 54, and I'm calling this episode The Omen. And don't forget to stick around, I have a code word coming up very soon to get today's great giveaway the book, The Sabbath Gift, A Faith Experiment. You want to save the number in your phone right now, 04 That's 04 And we will give you a code word very soon. Text in to claim your free copy of The Sabbath Gift, a faith experiment. So before the break, we were talking about how the foundation of God's government is righteousness. And righteousness is interchangeable with the word, the commandments or the law. And the foundation of the law or the commandments is love. Jesus said, if you love God with all your heart or your mind or your soul and you love your neighbor as yourself, you have fulfilled the requirements of righteousness or the law. So let's explore this idea of love. Love is the fulfilling of the law. Love is righteousness. Love is flowing outward to God and outward to your neighbor. What exactly is this love and how has it been revealed in the scriptures? And what's it got to do with the omen or the sign? Well, when you look at the expressly written form of the commandments or righteousness or love in the form of the Ten Commandments, which God took the 
time to actually write with his own finger, we find something pretty interesting. So in Exodus chapter 20, I think most would be familiar with the concept of the Ten Commandments. And if you're not, let's summarize them very quickly. There are ten commandments, obviously, since hence the name. The first commandment is, you shall not have any other gods before me. The second commandment is, you shall not make yourself an idol or an engraven image of anything that's basically on earth. Number three, do not take God's name in vain. Number four, remember the seventh day to keep it holy as a Sabbath. That means to rest. So these are the four commandments or instructions of God's constitution that relate to how to love God. How to love your neighbor is summarized in six instructions. Number five is honor your mother and father. Number six, do not murder. Number seven, do not commit adultery. Number eight, do not steal. Number nine, do not testify or bear false witness against your neighbor. And number 10, do not covet. That's the instructions in the Constitution of Heaven of how to love your neighbor. Now, what's fascinating is at the center of these Ten Commandments, Commandment number four, it's the only commandment that's strikingly different to the other ten. This is the only commandment that begins with the word remember. All the other ones are along the lines of don't do what I'm going to say next. But this one specifically calls you to do it, to remember, to act, to, to, to put into practice in your own life. And in this particular commandment, we call it a commandment, but it's really an instruction. This particular commandment begins with the word remember, and it's almost like God is saying that if you remember this commandment, all the other ones will take care of themselves because the other ones are all, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But this one says, remember the seventh day to keep it holy, the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And it's almost like if you remember this one, everything else takes care of itself. And so the question we want to talk about in this episode is how do you remember the Sabbath and why do we get told to remember the Sabbath? Well, let's take a step back for just a second. I mentioned earlier on the faith experiment in other episodes that there is a a great cosmic conflict that's revealed in the narrative of the biblical manuscripts, all the way from Genesis right through to Revelation. There is this conflict happening between the forces of good and the forces of evil. And when we zoom into this cosmic conflict at the last sort of chapter of it, which is found in the book Revelation, we find that this idea of worship is the central issue. I want to give you a couple of texts here. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 4, it says, So they, referring to the world, all the world, so they worshipped the dragon. Now, in Revelation, the dragon is a symbol for the devil himself. It says, They worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So, in Revelation 13, verse 4, Worship is the central issue at the last scenes of this great cosmic conflict. If we go to verse 12 of chapter 13, it says, And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. Again, worship is the 
the goal here in the forcing the world to cooperate with this idea. It's worship. You go to verse 15, it says, And he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Again, worship is the central issue in the closing scenes of the great cosmic conflict in the book of Revelation. When we go to chapter 14, verse 7, this is God's response back to what's taking place in the world. And he gives a message in verse 7 which says, Fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship God who made heaven and earth and the seas and the springs of water. And we go to verse 9, it says, Then there's a third angel with a message following, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark, that's the mark of the beast, and uh, or, or on his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink the wine of the wrath of God. So I want you to notice this. The central issue in the law of God is this idea of remembering, not forgetting, this Sabbath, this this act of worship. Don't forget it. It's it's enshrined in the constitution of heaven in number four, article number four, if you want to be specific. But it's this very act of worship that's the central issue in the book of Revelation in the context of the great cosmic conflict. So we're finding something remarkable here. God, from the very beginning, as he reveals his character, he tells us, listen, the foundation of my government is righteousness. The foundation of my throne is righteousness. What's righteousness, God? Well, that's the commandments. That's what he tells us in Scripture. Well, what's the commandments? Well, the commandments are summarized into two principles of loving God and loving your neighbor. And at the heart of that is worship. Worship is key. If you remember to worship God, then you will love God and you will love your neighbor. But in this great cosmic conflict that we find ourselves in, in the book of Revelation, in the whole in totality of Scripture, and even in the world that we live and breathe in, we find that there is a con- conflict between the forces of good and the forces of evil. According to the Bible, the central issue of this conflict between good and evil is the issue of worship. One side's calling you away from worshiping of God, and God's trying to call you back to worshiping of God. So the question is, what's the basis of worship? Why should I worship something or someone? Well, the interesting thing is that the book of Revelation in chapter 4 and verse 11 actually gives us what the uh, requirement is of something in order for that something to deserve worship. Here's what it says, Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. It says, you, speaking of Jesus, it says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. This is worship. You're, you're worthy to receive all of this. Why? For you created all things. And by your will, they exist and were created. So the central reason that something should receive honor and worship and glory is because that something is a creator of the one worshiping it. That's why the the commandments tell us as children to honor our parents. Honor is a form of worship. And why do we honor 
and slash, and this is in air quotes, but why do we worship our parents? Why do we honor our parents? Because our parents created us. They brought us into existence. Why are we called to worship and honor God? Because God brought us into existence. He created us. And so creation, the act of creation, is the requirement to receive worship. We read in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9, it says, And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of all ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the creator of all things, and therefore Jesus Christ deserves to receive honor and glory and power and worship. So the question is, how do we worship God? person of Jesus, the person of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Father. How do we worship God as a creator? Well, it's time to take a short break. Now, when we come back, we're going to jump straight back in and answer this question. Now, don't forget to stick around for the code word coming up very, very soon to get today's free book, The Sabbath Gift, A Faith Experiment. I'll see you right after this on The Faith Experiment. The Faith Experiment is made possible because of people like you. If you enjoy what we are doing, please consider supporting us by making a donation on our website at faithfm.com.au slash donate.
You're listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen, right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Welcome back to The Faith Experiment. This is episode number 54 of The Faith Experiment. I'm calling this episode The Omen. Before the break, we were looking at how do we worship God as a creator? How do we worship Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father? We've seen that the foundation of God's throne is righteousness. And we've seen that righteousness is the commandments. And we've seen that the commandments are summarized by love to God and love to our neighbor. But the question is, in this great cosmic conflict in the book of Revelation, we've seen that worship is the central issue. How do we worship God as a creator? Hey, stick around. Coming out very soon is the code word for today's great giveaway, the Sabbath gift, a faith experiment. Well, let's jump right back into this question of how do we worship God as a creator. In the book of Exodus, in chapter 20, and beginning in verse 8, we find these Ten Commandments that we've talked about already over the course of this episode. And in that mysterious commandment that begins with remember, the only one that begins with this idea of remember, we read these words. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through to 11, it says, Remember the Sabbath day. And I've already mentioned that word Sabbath means to rest, the rest. So remember the Sabbath day. This is God speaking with his own finger written into stone. He says, remember the Sabbath day, the rest day, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath, the rest, of the Lord your God. And in it you shall do no work, you nor your sons nor your daughters, nor your male servants, nor your female servants, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and he rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, if you have read the Ten Commandments in its entirety, you'll notice very, very quickly that this is the longest of all of the Ten Commandments. This is the one that God has taken the most time to put the most information in. So obviously, there is something extremely significant about this particular instruction, this number four instruction. As you look at the words that God has chosen to etch into stone for all of eternity, for all of us humans to read and to ponder and to meditate upon, you'll notice a number of striking details. As we've already said, it begins with the word remember. And it's almost like if you get this one, if you keep this one in mind, all other nine commandments become almost byproducts that becomes the fruit. You don't have to worry about not walking around killing anybody if you remember the Sabbath. You don't have to walk around worrying about whether you're going to commit adultery or not if you remember the Sabbath. It all seems to be hinging on this fourth instruction. So that word remember is very, very significant. But the next thing that we see in this is this idea that this remembering is to rest, which is kind of interesting because it's almost like God is implying that if we don't actively remember to rest, we will naturally keep working. And I know for myself, I, I'm a bit of a workaholic, and uh, yeah, it's a struggle for me to, to have downtime. I know my wife, when we 
are at dinner and she'll look across at me and she's like, where is your head? And I'm like, oh, sorry, I'm thinking about something for work or something that I'm planning. I'm always actively trying to, to do things. And, and it's like if we don't actively stop and think, hey, I've got to remember to rest, it's like there's something inbuilt in us that we're going to get in these wrong sort of burnout paths. And so this remembering is to remember to rest. That's the first thing that we're introduced to in this passage. But the next thing is, it's to not just remember to rest, but it's to remember that it's the seventh day that is rest. Every seventh day is a rest day in the constitution of God. Now, remember, we've already said that the commandments are the foundation of God's throne. He reigns and he rules while sitting on these commandments, according to that imagery we get from David. And so God wants you to have a constitutional day off every seven days, or I should say every seventh day. It's quite remarkable. And when I first came across this passage as a... Uh, as a reader of these ancient manuscripts, I thought, that's incredible. You know, every every human being likes public holidays, at least every Australian does. And uh, here we're getting a public holiday weekly. Now, it continues on and says, listen, the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God, which is unique because when I was first exposed to this idea of Christians and what they do and how they you know, normally go to church on a on a day off each week. I discovered that if you actually read this passage the way God wrote it, it's not so much your day off that we're keeping, it's God's day off. It says it's the rest day. The seventh day is the rest of or the Sabbath of the Lord. So it's the Lord's day. It's his day off. And you get to celebrate. It's kind of like the Queen's well, it's not really the Queen anymore, is it? It's the king. The king's birthday. It's his day. But we all get to celebrate it. And this is what we're getting this picture of this Sabbath. God's going, I've got a day off. I'm having a day off. And because I'm having the day off, you'll get the day off as well. And then he gives the instruction, you shall not work on it. And then he lists not just you, but everyone in your circle of influence, your sons, your daughters, your employees, your your associates. It's almost like God wants you to remember that if you enter into this rest with him, everyone around you benefits from this rest as well. Okay, so we've seen that we've got a rest. We've got to remember the rest. Everyone benefits if we enter into the rest. But what's interesting is in the middle of this instruction, this fourth commandment or fourth instruction, we read these words. It says, the reason why this rest exists, the reason why you get to celebrate it, the reason why God's taking it is because, in the middle of the verse, it says, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Now, you remember before the break we read that passage in Revelation. The reason why someone deserves worship and can receive worship is because they're a creator. The reason we honor our parents is because they created us. The reason we honor and worship God is because he created us. Now, according to these instructions within this Ten Commandments, the way we demonstrate this worship to God because he is creator is we keep the seventh day as a day of rest in memorial and in memory of him being our creator, our father figure. Now, Jesus comes along 4,000 years later almost, and he makes a statement because there was a, there was a hijacking of this Sabbath rest that uh, God had given 
to humans. And this hijacking was basically the Jewish leaders were claiming that it was theirs and theirs alone sort of thing. And if you were not a Jew, not a descendant of Abraham, then uh, the Sabbath, yeah, not so much of a benefit for you. But Jesus comes along and he, he breaks down this wall of separation that had been sort of built up by the religious leaders of the time. And in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, this is what Jesus said. He said, the Sabbath, that's the rest, was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man, referring to himself, is Lord of the Sabbath or Lord of the rest. So the rest, again, Jesus is emphasizing that the Sabbath is his. It's his rest day. And then he makes the point that I gave this rest day to humanity. That's what this word man means in the original language. It wasn't to the Jew. It wasn't to Abraham. It wasn't to um, you know any of his individual descendants. It was to humanity. So what was the purpose of this Sabbath rest, this Sabbath worship? God specifically is saying, listen, I'm giving you this day off to worship, to invest in this relationship that I've got with you as my created beings. Well, let's look at a couple of the reasons, according to the scriptures, as to why God gives us this day to worship. The first one we find is in the actual first instance of the Sabbath, and that's Genesis chapter 2. It tells us that after heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them were finished, and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work which he had done, and then God blessed it. So one of the first reasons given in the Bible for the Sabbath is that it is to be a time of blessing, a blessing that God can bestow upon us by entering into his sacred space of time. The second thing we find about the Sabbath and why it was given is that it's described as being sanctified. Now, that's an interesting word, and when I first read that as a non-Christian or a non-religious person, it didn't mean much to me. But this is where it gets interesting. When you go to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 20, and verse 12, we read this. It's God speaking here. He says, I gave my Sabbaths to be a sign between them, referring to the people, and me, that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Now, the title of this episode is The Omen. This idea of the omen, which I mentioned before at the beginning of the episode, is about the idea of a sign. An omen is a sign, or a, it can be a seal, it can be a token. It comes from this passage here in Ezekiel, and it's connected to this idea of sanctifying. So what does all this stuff mean? Well, let's look at it this way. God is saying in this passage that he gave the Sabbath to us that it might be an omen, it might be a sign between us and him. So the act of God going, hey, everyone, forever in a day now, I want you to rest on the seventh day of the week, and I want you to worship me. He says the act of that day being a time for you to worship with me and a time for you to rest, it's a sign, it's a token, it's a seal, it's an omen that shows that I'm your God and you're my people. It's kind of like the wedding ring, right? The idea of a wedding ring is is that you put the wedding ring on uh, as a couple, and that wedding ring is the sign that the two of you have 
committed to each other. You're in a relationship together. Well, the Sabbath is exactly that. When we enter into the Sabbath and we acknowledge the Sabbath every seven days, we are acknowledging by saying God, the Creator God, is our God and we choose to worship Him because He created us and the fact that we're taking the seventh day off regardless of what comes up and we enter into this time of worship shows that we acknowledge Him as our God and as our Creator. And then God on the other side of it goes, and the fact that they're worshiping me on the seventh day is the sign that they're my people. It's time to take a short break now. But when we come back, I've got the code word for today's great giveaway, the Sabbath Gift, a faith experiment. You will not want to miss getting this little booklet. It's going to give you practical tips on how you can experiment with experiencing the Sabbath for yourself. Stick around. I'll be right back after this on The Faith Experiment. If you have enjoyed this episode of The Faith Experiment, please help us get the word out by sharing our podcast with your friends and family. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. Every time I try to make it on mine Every time I try to stand and start to fall And all those lonely roads that I traveled on There was Jesus When the life I built came crashing to the ground When the friends I had were nowhere to be found I couldn't see it then, but I can see it now Well, there was Jesus In the waiting, in the searching In the healing, in the hurting Like a blessing buried in the broken pieces Heaven minute, heaven moment Where I've been and where I'm going Even when I didn't know it Or couldn't see it There was Jesus For this man who needs amazing kind of grace For forgiveness at a price I couldn't pay Well, there was Jesus There was Jesus In the way, in the searching In the healing, in the hurting Like a blessing buried in the broken pieces Every minute, every moment Where I've been and where I'm going Even when I didn't know it I couldn't see it In the valleys There was Jesus In the shadows of the alleys There was Jesus In the fire and the flames There was Jesus Always is and always was No one ever walked alone 
There was Jesus. There was Jesus. Precious Jesus. This is the Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen. Right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Listen live or listen later. Get the Faith FM app from your app store today. Welcome back to the Faith Experiment. This is episode number 53 of the Faith Experiment. And I'm calling this episode The Omen. Now, we have been exploring on this episode how the foundation of God's government is righteousness. And we have this picture that righteousness is interchangeable with the idea of the commandments of the law. And we saw that picture of how Jesus was asked, what's the what's the basis of the commandments? What's the greatest of the commandments? And his answer was, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. The Apostle Paul tells us that if we love our neighbor as ourselves, we have fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. But when we looked at the Ten Commandments that... Uh, God took the time to write out with his own finger in those tables of stone. We see at the center of them this interesting instruction that begins with the word remember. And as we've explored this concept of remember the seventh day to keep it holy, this this Sabbath day, this rest day, we found that God desires us to acknowledge that he is the creator. In Revelation, we've seen that there is a great cosmic conflict happening and worship is the center of that cosmic conflict. But Revelation also tells us that the reason why God, in the person of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the reason why they are worthy of worship is because they created all things. And when we look at the heart of this Sabbath commandment, this rest instructional commandment, we see that the basis of the rest is because he created all things. When we go back to the very beginning of this idea of the Sabbath in Genesis chapter 2, it comes immediately after he created all things. And then we have seen in the book of Ezekiel that God makes the point that those who enter into this sacred temple of time they reverence his Sabbath. They hallow it is the, uh, the English word that's been translated from the Hebrew, which literally means to, to keep, to protect, to, to uh, observe. God says those who observe his Sabbath, his, this temple of time, this 24-hour period of, of devotion to him, putting aside the, the worry and the stress and the anxiety of the week and entering into this sacred time with him, this relational um, experience with God. God says those who do that, they will know that the Sabbath is a sign. It's an omen. It's a token. And it's a token of the relationship. He says they will know that they're my children and they will know that I am their God. And equally, on the other flip side, God goes, well, I know that they're my children because they acknowledge me as their father and as their creator by entering into the Sabbath rest. It's absolutely astonishing the value and benefit that the scripture gives regarding this gift of the Sabbath rest. On this episode, I have a giveaway for you that's going to help you go a little bit deeper into practical ways to experience 
this Sabbath gift for yourself. If you have your phone, I'd invite you to take it out and text the code word to 04888-45311. That's the number you want to text it to, 04888-45311. And the code word is simply the word Sabbath. So text nothing else, just the word Sabbath, S-A-B-B-A-T-H. Text that to 04888-45311. And our SMS bots will ask you for your details. And then we will get this great little booklet to you as soon as possible. And it's going to help you very quickly see some of the benefits. There's physical benefits, there's spiritual benefits, emotional, social benefits of this Sabbath rest that God has enshrined in his constitution that underpins his throne. And I also want to challenge you in this book to actually experience the Sabbath. Now, this is the faith experiment. It's about experimenting with things. And I said at the beginning of the show that the Sabbath is perhaps the most um, tangible experiment you can do in all the scriptures because it's inviting you to experiment with it every seven days. A lot of the other parts of scriptures are theoretical. You put your faith into it, you test it out, you see what happens. And sometimes it's a long-term turnaround. But with the Sabbath, every seven days you get to experiment with it. You get to experience it. You get to evaluate whether the uh, experiment is successful. And so this book called The Sabbath Gift, A Faith Experiment, is going to give you some background, it's going to give you some history, and then it's going to help you with some practical illustrations of how to experiment with the Sabbath in a Sabbath challenge. So to get this book, once again, take out your phone, text in the code word SABBATH to 04888-45311, and we will get this book to you as soon as possible. On the next episode of The Faith Experiment, I'm going to talk about some of these benefits in a little bit more detail, specifically to how you can experiment with it in the 21st century. Well, that's all we have time for on this episode of The Faith Experiment. I'll see you next time right here on Faith FM. You have been listening to The Faith Experiment with Robbie Bergen. Right across Australia, right here on Faith FM. Connect with us via text message on 04888 45311. That's 04888 Or send an email to robbie at faithfm.com.au and let us know what you thought of this episode. If you have enjoyed this episode of The Faith Experiment, please help us get the word out by sharing our podcast with your friends and family. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. Hey there, this is Robbie. This is a bonus. The Faith Experiment is going live, not on radio, but in person. I'll be traveling around Australia this year doing The Faith Experiment live. If you'd like to come and say hello, dig deeper into the Somi's ancient manuscripts, or just find more things to experiment with in your faith journey, then check out where I'll be speaking next. Visit faithfm.com.au slash events and look for the Faith Experiment live in the area near you. And I'll see you then.